Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. Second one of the week. This week's trade deadline week. So we wanted to get this one to you a little quicker than we, we normally do. And we also wanted to thank our, our friends at DraftDay.com. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play instead of fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold, hard cash nightly to the top-performing players. They've already awarded more than $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter the promo code BAPODCAST, and that'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. Thanks again to DraftDay.com. Because it's trade deadline week, we've got three of us here today. I'm J.J. Cooper, joined by, as normal, by Ben Badler, but also we bring in our, our trade deadline expert, Matt Eddy, uh, who trade deadline is, is kind of, uh, it's, it, you do trade central, so it's, it's kind of one of the big weeks of the year. I, I think we every year, you, you made the point, every year we get done with the trade deadline and we often say, oh, that was a pretty, pretty low-key trade deadline. And I think you make a valid point that, they always seem bigger in hindsight than they do at the time. But where do you kind of put this trade deadline? Is it a normal one to you? Or I know a lot of people are saying is a low-key one. To you, does this seem normal? Or is it you know, a little bit less amped up than normal? Uh, it's really typical. I mean, we tend to remember the big prospect moves. You know, the Zach Wheelers, the Carlos Santana, the Scott Casimir. But I think this is more standard fare where you have a guy – uh, two guys, two position players, someone like uh, VCL Garcia and Mike Olt, two really rock-solid position player prospects, but maybe not front-line, headline-grabbing types. And then you throw in a couple of flyer pitchers. I mean, that's mm-hmm. – we did go back actually and look. Um, at Jim, Our Jim Callis has, has done a, a top 10 prospects of the guys traded at the deadline the last couple of years. So this year – and we're going to talk about these guys obviously in, in more uh, – in, in much more – uh, detail before long, but this year we have on it, we have Michael, have so Garcia, like you mentioned, CJ Edwards, mm-hmm. Jose Iglesias, um, uh, help me here. Uh, Those are the big prospect names. Yeah. Then you've got lower level guys, Dan Reed Vasquez, um, Josh Hader. These guys are in low A. Right. Kyle so, Smith and high A. You compare that. So we went back and looked at last year's list. Last year's list included Jacob Turner, Jean, John Segura, Arroyos Vizcaino, Tommy Joseph, Christian Villanueva, Rob Brantley, Johnny Helwig, Ethan Martin, Ariel Pena, uh, Jim favorite Zach Cox, which again, not my favorite, but Jim's. Um, but uh, And then we looked back the year before, Zach Wheeler, who obviously was the name on that year's list, but Zach Wheeler, Drew Pomeranz, Jonathan Singleton, Jared Cozart, Robbie Erlin, Alex White, Joe Wheeland, Francisco Martinez, Brett Oberholzer, and Trayvon Robinson. <laughs> the point I, I think that really kind of stands out about this is, is that for some of these guys, this is going to be the highlight of the career. 
you know, they're going to get traded, and you know, we're we're going to everyone knows about them now because it's a different world than it used to be. But not every one of these guys traded by any stretch of the imagination is going to end up turning out. No, definitely not. Uh, the trade deadline tends to be a little overblown for that reason in terms of fans' expectations for prospects. You know, but so looking at this year, though, uh, again, you know, said so we have a, a, a top ten, but starting with you, Ben, and then we'll, we'll bring it here to Matt as well. But so, Ben, what stood out to you? Who? What trade did you like as far as the uh, in terms of uh, the, the prospects that are coming back to a team? I liked, uh, like, like you guys said, there wasn't any one guy who's like, wow, I can't believe they were able to pry him away uh, from from that team. I I liked, like, there really wasn't anybody who really jumped out to me as like, wow, like they really got him. That's that's great for them. I, I thought the teams that were acquiring the major league talent, uh, for the most part, did well to help themselves more so than yeah. anything else. I think with with the prospects. Um, yeah, you know, I more, almost more so than than Mike Oltz, who I'm not that high on, but I think uh, I think getting C.J. Edwards was was a really nice move for the Cubs. It seems like they were able to deal Garza early, which I think some people think, oh, well, it was it was by design, and and they were trying to jump on the market early because they knew it was going to be a down market. I, I think that the reason they dealt him. <laughs> Was because they were trying to get, uh, they were trying to make trades early. Was they were trying to free up international pool money. Um, they weren't able to uh, uh, to do that. But uh, I think that getting Edwards in in that deal was a pretty pretty nice move for them. I, I really like that move for them. So Matt, yeah, on the prospect side or the uh, the the team acquiring the major league talent, did anyone stand out to you as as wow they really did did well and. For themselves. Well, uh, the White Sox, kind of the, the crosstown rivals of the Cubs. I, I really like Garcia. I'm probably the highest person here on Garcia. I think you know, it's a five-tool player with a 20 home run potential. Um, I, I thought that was a good move because you you don't you you shed PV's salary next year, 15 million from the books, and you get a cost-controlled player for six years, who you know might make an All-Star team once or twice. I, to me, I think we both talked about this. The the part in that trade. I kind of I understand it in some ways, but I, I do think that if you look at the Tigers part of that trade, that's the part where if you ask me, Avisel Garcia for Jose Iglesias, and like I said, I may not be as big on Garcia as you are, but uh, I'm taking Garcia in that trade ten times out of ten. Mm-hmm. I do understand in some ways if you're the Tigers, what they're looking at is a situation where they have to get a shortstop. They feel like that their shortstop may be gone as soon as we're recording this on Thursday, as soon as this weekend. Uh, for 50 games and they don't really, the sad thing, and we've talked about this in the office. The sad thing is, is the tigers have a large number of glove first, no hit shortstops in their organization. They quite clearly do not feel that any of them are ready to help them right now. So they went out and got, and I know his numbers don't look like this, but the reality is, is a great glove, great glove, no hit shortstop who, He's going to be uh, an probably an offensive minus throughout his career. I mean, that's the expectation. Mm-hmm. And the question is, is, is his glove going to be good enough to do it? I understand why they do it that way. I understand there's like, look, we have to have a big league shortstop because we're in a, a pennant race. We want to go to the World Series. Still, that's an awfully high price. Whereas if I look at it, the Red Sox, uh, I think of that and say, wow, you managed to get the the hottest 
month and a half of Jose Iglesias' career paid off into getting Jake Peavy and yeah. a couple of they, intriguing but long, high-risk arms in, in the low minors. I, I, I do that trade oh, all the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, the Red Sox did a great job of just really taking advantage of the Tigers' desperation, in my opinion. And, and the reality is, is I don't think Jose Iglesias fit in their long-term plans anyway. When you look at the number of third basemen and – if you think Xander Bogarts can play shortstop for a while, right. which I do, mm-hmm. if that's the case, then you know I don't know what you think about it then. But to me, Jose Iglesias, do you, did you see Jose Iglesias fitting into their long-term plans in Boston? No, I think ideally that what they're going to do is put Xander Bogarts at shortstop. His defense is, has, has, has gotten better. People just thought, oh, he'd be so big by the time he's you know 23 years old that – He's not going to be able to play shortstop by the time he's ready for the major leagues. Well, he's, he's going to be ready now, and he's 20 years old or 21 next year. And his, he hasn't gotten so big that you have to move him off. And his defense has, has actually gotten better uh, pretty significantly since he signed, So, or even in the last couple of years. So I think they're going to try to put him at shortstop. I understand that Middlebrooks is, uh, you know, has, has had some struggles, but I think in a perfect role, you put Bogarts at shortstop and – uh, and you put Middlebrooks at third base, and and you use Iglesias just just the perfectly the way they did. He hit really well early in the season, and they sold high on him to help their, uh, you know, assuming PV can stay healthy uh, for the next year and a half. And they had they got him for more than just uh, you know a, a couple of months rental. So I think that they they really sold high on Iglesias. Yeah, and I do think with that, I also think I think they're still going to have some interesting decisions to make at third base because Garen Cicchini has kind of sped up his timetable a little bit to where he's got to start being in that discussion about their long-term third baseman, not Absolutely. just for 2015-16, but at some point maybe in 2014, which maybe a little faster than maybe that was the expectation. Yeah, I think that that's probably a consideration for them too. Obviously, like you said, even if Middlebrooks can't figure out the strike zone, then uh, <laughs> uh, you know it'd be nice if you could combine those two players. You'd have a uh, a dynamite third baseman, but uh, even if Middlebrooks can't do that, you have uh, Chikini in waiting for next year. Yeah, but okay, so that's the trade. I think we again we say kudos Red Sox, we say kudos White Sox in and Tigers. Okay, we understand it maybe, but not so much the kudos to the Tigers on this because I think in the long term it, it's probably a. A deal that that doesn't uh, you know doesn't bode well for them over the long term. What's the next trade to you that that Matt that stands out as far as uh, and, and kind of who's who's a winner or a loser to you? I really like what the Orioles did actually getting three major league pitchers. You know these these are not number one pitchers. They got Bud Norris, Scott Feldman, and they got uh, Francisco Rodriguez for the bullpen. I think um, at, for the price they paid, these are all great acquisitions because they. Uh, they won't have as much variation in their performance as some of the other pitchers that the Orioles might have been relying on. And, and the, really the key thing is is that it's it's funny, but out of all these, the Orioles managed to make probably as many trades uh, or as a larger number of, you know, as far as bringing in guys who can contribute as almost anyone. And they did it from a pretty thin farm system, and they mm-hmm. did it without really dipping into that farm system too much. I you. Nick Delmonico for for Francisco Rodriguez, I think that's a reasonably high price for Francisco Rodriguez. But mm-hmm. again, Nick Delmonico, with this, we're always talking as I see it, kind of 
especially with a guy who's still an A ball. Okay, so he has, let's say, in Delmonico's case, let's say he has a 30% chance to be, a, let's say, a 15% chance to be an above average big league regular. I think that's a an unlikely scenario for him. Let's say he's got another 40% chance of being a big league regular. Again, that may be a little strong, but there's still there's a pretty decent chance. I'd say you're talking 40-50% chance that this guy's never going to be a big league regular. To trade that for a guy who you know is going to step into your, your bullpen and, and help it out, I understand those kind of deals. I, again, I, I don't. We were, we're Baseball America, but you don't want to overvalue prospects to the point that you, you kind of eliminate the fact that there are there is some risk here, especially when you talk about guys who the upside is not something where they're really going to come back and bite you. Trading Carlos Santana for Casey Blake, that's stupid from the standpoint that the upside of that really can come back to bite you. I don't think – do you think that the Orioles trade – Matt, that they traded anyone here who the upside of them uh, – the Josh Hader is probably the one I can come back with the most mm-hmm. that the upside could hurt them. I don't think there's any chance that LJ Hose, the upside of LJ Hose, is really right. going to come back to bite them. Generally, teams are pretty safe trading corner prospect, corner position prospects, unless they're A-level guys, you know, like a Prince Fielder type. And, and that fits the description of L.J. Hose, who was in the Bud Norris trade, of Delmonico, who you talked about, and uh, Feldman they ended up trading Jake Arietta, who had kind of run their course with Baltimore. Right. But, he, he, with Arietta, he may end up turning into something, but the reality of it is is that if he does, that doesn't mean it was going to happen in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, he's looking more and more like a good setup guy than, a, than an impact starter. But to, to your point... No, I don't, I, don't, I don't ever fault teams for trading corner players who are non-elite prospects. You know, but so, Ben, I, I, I wanted to get your opinion on this. To me, if you look at a team that really kind of did itself pretty well as far as I could understand a lot of what they were doing on the uh, pre- prospect acquisition side, quite clearly it seems like that the Cubs were really aiming at, okay, we need to bring in a, a couple more arms in this. With the Garza trade, with the Feldman trade, do you like – I mean – do you think that they that this is going to, to make any kind of impact for them long term, or is it? Am I uh, maybe uh, going a little too far on that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on how Edwards develops. I mean, I think that's going to be a big key in in that trade. Obviously, uh, Oltz is you know if he returns to what he was last year, I think that's that's obviously the biggest key for for that deal. Uh, but yeah, if, if Edwards can come along and and develop, but but it's again a lot of these guys who were in a lot of these deals. I thought that the I thought the teams like like Matt said, you know what the Orioles did. Uh, you know the teams that were you know giving away prospects. I, I just didn't see that much given away this year. That's you know teams are really going to regret losing. I don't think they <laughs> I don't think they were teams necessarily all, either acquiring major league talent. That's uh, you know at the, at the caliber of like a CC Sabathia being traded to the deadline, or, or somebody like that, or Cliff Lee before, but just a lot of these guys are, you know, there's nobody who really jumps out to me as somebody. Wow, like they're they're definitely going to miss that guy at some point down the road. Right, and, and that is, it, well, if, again, that's what happens in a lot of these trades. Is you end up adding a, a guy who can help you, and you don't. It doesn't cost you all that much down the road. One of the teams that's been in, you know, been involved in trades. Pretty much any time that there is trading over the last couple of years is the Astros. Mm-hmm. And the Astros did, as you talked about, trade Bud Norris, bring back uh, LJ Hose, Josh Hader. And, and, and you, you look at them, 
it all fits kind of in what what the Astros have done, which is the Astros have seemed like that what they're trying to do is, is they've built the depth of that system to a level that we're talking about a system that the farm system was probably the thinnest by far in minor league baseball a couple of years ago. I do think it's pretty fair to say at this point that it's probably, I don't know if it's the number one farm system or anything like that, but I do think it's the deepest farm system in the minors right now. What did you, Matt, what did you see as far as for them? Do you think any of these guys they brought in are, are going to be a key part of their, their rebuilding effort in the next couple of years? Uh, they targeted lower level guys, uh, which, you know, obviously the probability is of, of them hitting higher is, risk, higher reward, higher risk, higher reward. You know, but what was notable too, I thought, was that they got two Venezuelan talents from recent signing classes in uh, Ronald Tor- Torres and uh, Dan Vasquez. Like this is the organization that uh, signed Johan Santana and Freddy Garcia right. and Bobby Abreu. They used to be the team in Venezuela. I don't know. That was kind of a cool callback, whether that was intentional or not. And they also, with their addition of Torres, no, they have cornered the market on the. Uh, second baseman who can't ride rides at the, you know, at at six flags. (laughs) I mean, they, they have the short second baseman market absolutely cornered because they have obviously the patron saint of short second baseman in, in Jose Altuve. Um, although Dustin Pedroia, who's a little taller may, you know, may argue, but Dustin Pedroia is in the uh, taller category of that, but Altuve, they add to Reyes and they also have Tony Kemp uh, who they drafted (laughs) this year. So they have, Three of probably the five shortest second basemen that's, in the that's game. That's the Astros' organizational profile for right. the position. <laughs> but, I, again, like with L.J. Hose, I, I'll ask you about, about L.J. Hose, Ben. I see in some ways why, you know, they, they pick him up. But to me, this is Hose is another guy who is most likely, in my mind, to be another guy they're kind of going to sort through, but I, I don't see him ever being a, uh, a long-term regular for them. Yeah, that's just I – mean, Part of it is just a product of who, you know, look at who they were trading. I mean, they're trading Bud Norris, who is, you know, is a solid major league starter. But if you're trying to trade him to a, a contender, you, you you need to have him be one of your top three or four starters in your rotation. I just don't think there was probably much of a, a high demand market for Bud Norris. And that's why you end up with a deal where you're taking uh, LJ Hose and Josh Hader and and uh, a supplemental first-round pick, uh, probably because the Astros, I'm assuming, didn't see anything else in there that uh, that they really wanted to have. But yeah, I mean, with Hose, it's uh, you know, if if more power comes, I, you have a, a major league regular. But he, uh, I don't, I don't know that it's it's going to come for him. I, I like the the bat is very solid. I, I like his hitting approach. But uh, you, I don't think you can plug him in as a, a major league regular right now. Maybe in a few years if, if he gets stronger and, and that power starts to come. But I think more realistically, yeah, you are looking as a, at, a, at a bench bat right now. Yeah, he's a right-handed hitter with no power and no speed. But these guys are not starters in the major leagues. That's, that's a hard profile <laughs> to, to make it work. And, and that kind of leads to another team. You know, another trade we saw yesterday uh, – that, you know, the Astros traded away Justin Maxwell mm-hmm. get back from the uh, Royals right-hander Kyle Smith. Uh, you know, I follow you're, you're the man of, on Kyle Smith. I was gonna say I, I follow a lot of uh, you know Royals bloggers and all, and 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 Royals intelligentsia, you know, uh, media and all. And 
and there was some seemed to be some serious outrage over <laughs> trading away Kyle Smith for Justin Maxwell yesterday. The the thinking being, Justin Maxwell, rightfully I, I think a fair assessment is is that you're talking about a platoon outfielder, a platoon corner outfielder, and the weak side of a platoon, and the weak side of a platoon, the guy who. Ideally, if everything breaks right, you probably should get about 200 to 250 at-bats a season. And, rightfully also, a guy who was who was waiver-wire chum in April. That's how the Astros got him, is, is the Yankees in their massive, uh-oh, we've got to fill out a roster. They had 40-man roster spots were pretty much at a premium for the Yankees. Maxwell was not going to be on their opening day. Uh, he was out of options. And he was out of options, so... Boom, you know, they cleared him off, and, and the, the Astros snagged him. Well, that's all true. When we get, but again, at the same time, I, I, didn't see, I don't see the outrage part of this from the standpoint of Kyle Smith, when you talk about profiles, it's another very tough profile. The man knows how to pitch. The, he's, got, he's got really, he's aggressive with average stuff. He's got a plus curveball. He's got a, if you want to be, Charitable, you could say an average fastball, but really you could argue with what, on the scouting scale, I mean, you know, you don't want to get all hung up on velocity, but on the scouting scale, you can make the argument that a 90 mile an hour fastball from the right side is average. Still, the reality is that I think the scale hasn't caught up to how much velocity has increased in the in the minors and the majors. That a, a guy who sits at 88, 90, I know he locates it well, but you could really argue that's a 40, 45 fastball nowadays from a right-hander, and then an average changeup. If everything comes together, he could be Mike Leak. I mean, that's your hope. But it does seem like that there's a, a lot of guys left along the side of the road between high A, where he's pitching very well right now, and the big leagues who have that short right-hander, somewhat athletic, compact delivery, yeah. knows how to pitch, but really doesn't have uh, the velocity you're expecting. It's kind of the Chris Medlin, Ian Kennedy ceiling as well. Right. And the thing about it is, is those, those are long shots, but you know, there are, there are examples. Right. There are yeah. examples. There are absolutely, there are examples. I do think one of the things you come back to with those guys is, is that, and you know, this is just maybe my personal opinion, but take it or leave it. But a lot of those guys end up having more erratic careers. Like Ian Kennedy at his best can be really good, but it's a little tougher for him to sustain that year to year. I do think than a guy who, who has a plus fastball. Yeah, teams clearly favor velocity these days. You know, probably to give the pitchers a margin of error when combating these power. The hitters go up there looking to to pull the ball with power. And the other thing is, is that when you have a starter who has plus velocity, I think we've seen established now, almost time and time again, that the fallback position for that guy as a reliever is much more than than a guy say you know who has stuff like Kyle Smith. Who yes, okay, Smith may gain a tick when you put him out of the bullpen. But that gaining a tick is going to give him a 91, 92 mile hour fastball, and he's a fastball curveball guy. That's not really the the average profile of a, of an arm coming out of the pen. Now, that's a little you know that's not as much of a fallback as it is for a guy. And we've seen some of the worst starting pitchers in the majors in recent. Luke Hochaver probably was the worst starting pitcher to start the whole you know over the last couple of years. I mean, if he's not, he's in the discussion. He goes to the bullpen. He's pretty good now. Mm-hmm. Wade Davis has been really bad as a starter this year. Wade Davis was really good as a reliever last year. Yeah, I just brought up two Royals. Like I'm, I need to think of an example of a non-Royals guy. But that it's it's a lot easier for a guy, a starter with velocity, to make that move to the pen than it is a guy 
who doesn't have that velocity to make that move to the pen. Yep, it's just the preference of major league teams, yeah. Right, and so that's one of those deals, I think, that in the end, it's going to be one that we don't really remember all that significantly one way or another. You you're talking about Maxwell? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Maxwell's no. I, I don't think Maxwell's ever going to be any, you know, but I, I think Smith has probably a, a 30, 40% shot to be a, a number four, number five starter. That's, you know, that maybe, you know, may, you can say that that's worth that or not. It depends on your valuation of, of how important it is to have guys who you know are going to help, are going to be on your big league roster compared to guys who may be on your big league roster down the road. Mm-hmm. But, well, before we wrap this up, Matt, any, you know, what other trades stood out to you that you, you want to discuss today? Uh, I thought the the most interesting theme was probably just the fact that most of the buyers were American League teams. The Dodgers were the only team. They got Ricky Nolasco from the Marlins. Other than that, the teams who added veterans were the Orioles, the Yankees with Alfonso Soriano, uh, the Rangers with Garza, the A's with Alberto Callaspo, the Tigers, they got Jose Veras and Iglesias, who we talked about. And the Red Sox, they got PV and uh, Matt Thornton. I think part of that is is that the, the AL is a lot more unsettled right now than the NL. I mean, you look at the NL, and in the East, we're pretty settled at this point, aren't we? I mean, the Braves are so far up, I don't see the Nationals turning this around at, <laughs> at this point. It's hard to imagine they do, and they did not make any moves like they were trying to. I'll ask you, Ben. You know, They got Scott Hairston. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, you know, but I look at the AL as way more unsettled at this point as far as what's going to happen than I do the NL. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the the NL is pretty much wrapped up in the East. Yeah, I, don't, I, think, I think the Nationals have talent and are just completely underachieving. Um, yeah, I think you look at the AL, pretty much all those three divisions in the American League are, are up for grabs. Again, I, I think teams you know, wanted to upgrade. I think, you know, the Pirates wanted to, to trade for a bat, but there's just, just, there's nobody or maybe even an arm for, for an upgrade. Although I think their starting pitching has been pretty good this year, but I just, I don't think, I don't see where the upgrades are, are, are available on the market. And I think you just saw that reflected in, in the guys who were traded who are, you know, at best, you know, number three or, or, or back end starters or kind of, you know, uh, just kind of, you know, back of the bullpen, you know, really like, like Jose Veras is, he's okay, but that's not like a, it's not really a guy you want as a, as a closer year in and, and year out. I, I thought the Astros uh, did pretty well to get Danry Vasquez, a guy who could potentially be a starter for him. But, but for the most part, it's just uh, the guys who were on the market just weren't that impressive for teams to jump out and be willing to part with some of their better prospects. And, I did also want to ask you, Matt, how much do you think – we saw some trades last year, so maybe this is not as much a factor as I think it is. I do think that the change in compensation rules does lead to less deals at the deadline because – I mean, with two things. The addition of the second wild card and, on top of that, the uh, the new compensation rules, which mean that any player traded in their final year, in season, of the final year of their deal – you're not getting any compensation for him if you acquire him. <laughs> so, like, so if you have a guy who's who you are who is good enough that you're going to possibly make a qualifying offer to, you're weighing, okay, I can either get a first round pick for this guy or the trade. Whereas if you're a team acquiring him before, you always knew in the back of your head, hey, offer arbitration to this guy and we're going to get a pick for him. 
You compare that to now and you say, we know if we get this guy, we're just watching him walk for nothing at the end of the year. Yeah, the classic example of that is the Angels last year when they traded for Zach Greinke. They gave up Gene Segura to get him, then they watched him go to the Dodgers with no draft pick compensation, and then they went and chose to spend that money on Josh Hamilton instead. So that was a very, very unfortunate chain of events for the Angels. Right, and that's, to me, that does again, reduce the, 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 the market. I, I, the other question I, I'm going to throw out to both of you, I guess, Ben, you start off, then Matt, you can follow up. Do we need to move the deadline back now? Because with the second, I think there's a pretty fair argument that can be made that with the second wild card, July 31st is just a little, little bit early for most teams. The Astros, they know they're out of it. The Marlins know they're out of it. But there are a lot of teams that if you moved it back to, say, August 15th might be out of it who it's from a financial standpoint you can't even admit that yet from ticket sales and all that July 31st is just maybe a little too soon now with the second wild card what what do you think Ben uh I'm kind of indifferent to the point of saying I just leave it where it is right now and it's really up to the, like we just talked about like the Royals and and that deal that, that they made for, for Maxwell, really the bigger issue is why are they not selling? <laughs> that's why, a whole podcast. <laughs> why? I mean, I don't understand what they're doing. Like that, but that's, that's really on the team to make that decision for themselves. I mean, the, the way to, for them to get to 90 wins, I, I think I tweeted it out the other day. I don't know what the numbers are now, but they have to go like 37 and, and 20 or something like that. The rest We're talking of the about team that's one straight now. Ooh. Yeah, and and the Tigers will basically just have to play 500 ball to get there the rest right. of the way. That, so, that is the the funny thing is is that like there's been a lot of talk of you know okay, the the Royals decided they're in it because they've gone on this hot streak and they've won. Uh, I believe when we were walking in here, they were getting ready to finish up their eighth straight win. The funny thing is is that when that winning streak began, they were eight games behind the Tigers, and I believe four and a half or five and a half behind the Indians as of having won eight straight. They're now, I think seven games behind the Tigers and they haven't gained a thing on the Indians because those two teams have also gone on massive winning streaks. So yeah, it's one of those things. Well, the one to me, if we're picking out teams that I really can't fathom how they didn't make any moves is the Mariners. The Mariners have made a youth movement again this year. They're they're on youth movement 2.0. It's working out pretty well for them. But they have some veterans who they're not offering a qualifying offer to Raul Banyas at the end of the year. I think that's fair to say. You know, I, I'm surprised that they did not make some moves because they have players who are not part of their long-term plan, who are they're not going to get compensation for. But they sat it out, and I don't think there's any way that you can say, in, especially in the AL West, that they're in it. That's a fair point. I mean, what did they have to, you know, we saw the, they, cal- the cal- they, they saw the caliber of players and what they went for. I mean, Michael Morse. Okay. Mor- Morse is the one guy. I mean, to me, and maybe they couldn't get an offer that was even pennies on the dollar, but, but to me they did have some players who would have some value. I, I think that Abania is, is a guy who has some value to some team as, you know, again, if Justin Maxwell can get you Kyle Smith, Raul Abania can get you more than that. Yeah, if the Yankees didn't have Travis Hafner, maybe they'd say, come on back. Yeah, come on back. <laughs> you know, we, we remember, you, you, you've been good at the playoffs. So. <laughs> yeah, so to me, I, I don't see you, you, I don't think you have to move the deadline back. You can still make waiver. You know, you, there, you still have the, the waiver deadline after this 
to me, it's it's just about the, the teams have to realize what position they're in. <laughs> so I mean, why don't understand? Like, why aren't the Royals capitalizing on Irvin Santana's big year? Why are they trying to go for it now? But that's that's up to the team to make that decision. I don't think I don't think that it's up to MLB to try to create more trade deadline excitement. I think it's up to teams to make better decisions about their own rosters and where they are right now and the and the chances that they have to make the playoffs. I, I think the deadline is is fine where it is right now. You know, if they move it back, I don't I don't think it's a a big deal. But really, it, it's about teams making the right decisions about where they are. What, what do you think, Matt? I can see the case for moving it back a little bit, but um, I, I don't feel strongly about it. No, it's one of those, yeah. I mean, I don't think it'd make a massive difference because the reality of it is, is that a lot of these times these trades are hard to make because of the, the contracts involved. Yeah, I think it's generally good that teams you know, keep their best players and, and actually try to win games instead of just throwing in the towel. Well, and, and Ben, you tweeted out, and I think it's true, a lot of what also has kind of it takes away from the trade market is is that which is good for baseball is that there's the Marlins may try to argue otherwise, but there's really not a team in baseball. There's so much money in baseball now that it's become a lot easier for teams to retain their top players. Andrew McCutcheon re-ups with the Pirates. You know, you see moves like that where so we're not in the situation where teams are are nearly as much stuck with oh okay we got to get rid of this guy so we have some chance to get something back for him teams that have a realistic shot of keeping their best players and with those guys locked up now often two three years before free agency arrives there just are less there's less inventory on the market of, of guys who are again what you both i think rightfully have pointed out guys who you look at and say that acquisition can really help you in the playoffs that's the starter, starting pitcher who's going to p- pitch in your playoff rotation. That's the reliever who's going to pitch key innings for you in the playoffs. Less of those guys are available because most of those guys have been locked up and are staying with the uh, the team that they were you know, originally signed with. Yeah, I think only Garza and Peavy fit that description right. among, among this year's. Right. And, and <laughs> most of the guys now, you, you just you, – you don't – those guys are locked up. <laughs> I, one more team, and before we wrap this up, I did want to ask both of you all. Were you surprised at all? The Cardinals made it clear that they weren't going to make any moves. Were you surprised that they didn't work maybe a little bit more aggressive to try to add, say, a shortstop or, or something? Because they obviously have inventory as far as guys that could they could trade for. Um, I, you know, it's hard to say. They were pretty quiet last year, too. All they went out and got was Mujica for Zach Cox. Uh, the year before, well, the year before they were busy because they traded Colby Rasmus, that's when they brought, brought back Zepchinski and Jackson, and, and, and then for call in a, in a separate trade. So, you know, past precedent. I don't know. I, I, any opinion, Ben? Uh, I mean, I think they're committed to uh, to what they have right now. I think that what, what the problem is what Molina getting injured right before the deadline was just Terrible brutal. timing. I mean, uh, I think they were probably trying to scramble a little bit for their – uh, we heard uh, Navarro, Deanna Navarro's name mentioned a little bit, but um, it's just like you look at like like what's on the like were they going to trade for Jose Iglesias? I mean, uh, trying no. to get all there. It's just, I, there's just there's so little available on the market. Obviously, the Cardinals have the prospects to get a deal done, but who? I mean. What, Who's out? Like, what kind of shortstop? I mean, Alexei Ramirez, I don't see him as that big of an upgrade right now. Look at what he's done this year 
And in the last couple of years, I don't see him going in the right direction. I wouldn't want to give up too much for him. I think they have a good enough team, uh, you know, even with a couple of holes, obviously a bigger one if Molina's going to be out for any significant amount of time. Uh, that's something they probably, I'm sure, certainly weren't expecting. But I think they're just going to say, look, we're, we're going to go forward and that's going to be a weakness and we're not going to overpay for 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 something on the market that's really just going to be a, a marginal upgrade because there's just you know, there's just not much available. No, I, I think I, I do understand somewhat their idea of we're not going to make a trade unless it's going to make significant impact. And it didn't seem like there was the inventory out there to, to really make a deal. Teams seemed to swing for the fences and try to do it. I, it seemed like that there was people calling to see if, if Stanton could be pried away from the Marlins. Seems like the answer was no. There was talk of, okay, everyone on the Angels, except with the exception maybe of Trout, was available at a, <laughs> the right price, but the right price couldn't be found. You know, there was a lot of that out there. But, yeah, I mean, those deals are really hard to make, especially when you have a deadline to, to kind of put those together. Well, guys, thanks for, for our trade deadline uh, breakdown. Thanks again also to our friends at DraftDay.com. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play instead of fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold, hard cash nightly to the top-performing players. They've already awarded more than $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter the promo code BAPODCAST, and that'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. For Matt Eddy, for Ben Badler, I'm J.J. Cooper. Thanks again for the download of this edition of the Prospect Handbook podcast. We'll be back next week uh, talking prospects as we always do. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. See ya. See ya. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.